You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, hello, Calvary Chapel. Pastor Frank here with you. Glad to be with you again in your homes. I've been, I've been in your homes a whole lot more than I ever had before, so that's one of the benefits of this sort of COVID, you know, sh- shutdown or shut-in, this isolation that we're facing. It's been sort of an interesting time, but uh, so privileged to be able to at least gather together like this, and uh, I hope your heart is just already you know, singing over what it is that we've just sung, that it is well, it is well, that the winds and the waves, they still know his name. And uh, though there is all kinds of things that uh, are pushing against us now, we know that God is for us and if he's for us, who can be against us. So um, this season that we're in is lasting a little bit longer than anybody ever expected. And so this series that we're in is also going to be sort of extended a bit. So we come to our sixth message. There were only going to be five in our Impossible series. And we're going to, we're going to keep on with the theme while we continue to face you know, the adversity and the pressures that we face. And so this is our sixth message. There will be a couple more, uh, I imagine. So let me just quickly pray while you find your place in 2 Kings Chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4. Father, I do want to thank you for the privilege to gather even like this. It is still different. I don't want to get used to it, to be honest. It's not, it's just, it is odd. It is strange not to be gathered together, not to be assembled together. But we're, to, we're gathered together nonetheless under the banner of your love and of your great grace, and of your, under the banner of your might and your wisdom and your power and your goodness, we, we gather. We're looking up. It's been sort of a theme. It's been a posture. It's been a position that we think you just keep calling us to, to, to keep looking up. And so we do now, and we do again, and we're going to keep on looking up to you. And we pray that you would be now to us and for us, maybe a whole lot more than you've ever been, a provider, a prince, a prince of peace, a way maker, a miracle worker. We're just looking up. And use, Lord, this time in your word to that end, that it would be well with us. It would be well within our souls. We're yours by grace. You chose us. You called us to this. You saw this. We didn't. You did. And so we're trusting you. Our eyes are on you. And we want to say with everything in us, it is well. It's well with me. It's well with my soul, and that can only be said because of your great mercy. Be merciful to us, God, and your grace. 
And all God's people all over this city and all over this world say together now, amen and amen. Well, 2,000 years ago on the countryside in Galilee, while teaching the masses, hungry bellies began to rumble. This huge crowd that had gathered to hear Jesus, they began to get hungry. The 12 informed Jesus of the problem, and as growing great disciples, they offered a solution. Send the people away. And uh, then Jesus told the 12, they, had, they were fresh off of a hot streak of preaching and, you know, miracle working. Jesus told the 12 to do something. He said, no, you, you feed them. And immediately they were faced with what they, they didn't have. It wasn't, they didn't have the capacity to meet the need of the, mass, the masses that they faced. And so Jesus never wanted to waste a valuable teaching moment asked his men a really simple but altogether penetrating question. He said, essentially, now that you're aware of what it is that you don't have, what do you have then? And after some kind of search, as you put all the Gospels together, the fellas came back essentially with this answer, precious little. We've got five loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? And they were soon to learn there that day, 2,000 years ago, what a desperate widow, widow had learned centuries before, that with God, and I think we all need to hear this, with God, our impossibly little, our precious little, is more than enough. So I'm going to title this sixth message in our Impossible series, Precious Little. Precious Little, we're in 2 Kings chapter 4, we're only going to look at seven verses, but Again, with God, precious little can go so far. In our last impossible gathering, if you remember, Elijah was God's man on the earth. And somewhere along the way, uh, Elijah picked up a servant named Elisha, who would soon become his predecessor. Elijah, you remember, even the last time we gathered together in our impossible series, had an interesting encounter with a widow, the widow of Zarephath. Elisha is about to have his own experience, his own widow experience, we might say. So let's see what this short story may have to say to us in these tumultuous times. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 begins, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his Slave. So we meet our widow. She has two sons that don't appear to be old enough to really help mom, to provide for her, but they seem to be uh, old enough. They're too young to really help her, but they're old enough to be some value to the creditor that's coming, her creditors. Her husband was one of Elijah's servants who led a godly life until his death. And we aren't sure if this man of God led his family into debt, you know, while he was still living, or if she had actually borrowed after his death to keep the family going, we don't know. Regardless, our widow approaches the bitter end where all of her resources, almost all of her resources, are gone. It is interesting that God spared this woman neither the leanness of death nor the leanness of debt. And, and these boys, too. 
And it's scenarios like these which tempt us to doubt the goodness of God. We think, what possible good could come out of a tragedy like this? You've got this godly man and his woman, and he, he dies and leaves this woman behind with two sons, and now this, this wife is facing all this insurmountable debt, and the boys are about to be taken from her to become this man's indentured servants. We think, why didn't God intervene on behalf of his minister? He was a faithful minister, we're told. Why hadn't he intervened on behalf of this woman since the husband died? Why allow her, God, why allow her to suffer both death and then on top of that, debt? God could have given his minister more than enough so that there would have been plenty laid aside for the future. Didn't this man have life insurance? I mean, hadn't God blessed his 401k to the degree that once he was gone, this woman and her boys would have plenty to live on? They'd, they'd live a trouble-free life? What kind of legacy did the man leave his family in the end? Well, we're soon going to see that he may have left, left his sons he may have left his wife. He may have left his family. Um, the greatest legacy a man can leave, a legacy of faith. Remember, faith is far more precious than gold, for the smallest measure of faith can actually garner, can actually buy, can actually bring, if you will, more than all the gold and the earth can. But again, and there's some more questions. I think there are a lot of questions in the passage. Why does God seem to wait till the end? Until, the, until, you know, we might even call it the bitter end, until the, the bare bones end. Why wait till then, God? Or we might think, did pride keep her from asking for some help, you know, sooner? Maybe faith. Maybe it wasn't pride at all. Maybe faith had kept her from asking until now. We don't know how long this husband has been gone, how long this woman has sort of managed things on her own. She, she may have been provided for wonderfully all the way up until now. Well, all we really know is that now she's here, and however it is that she's gotten here really makes no difference at all at this point, for she's about to lose all that she really loves, her boys, her two sons. So finally, we might say, she cries out to the man of God for help. May have been humbling for her, maybe not. Now, remember, Elijah, his widow was actually, um, uh, uh, Elijah was actually sent to his widow. This widow, in a sense, is actually sent to Elijah. And Elijah was provided for by his widow. Elisha seems to be the conduit of God's provision for her. We compare and contrast. And then we might ask, did Elijah, did Elisha not know her plight? I mean, her husband was actually one of Elisha's servants. It's curious. Elisha, if you study his life, he was a man of incredible insight. He saw things that nobody else could see. But right here, right underneath his nose, is a need that he doesn't seem to see. Which does highlight that we do tend to, we tend to place certain high expectations on our ministers. Those, those men and women around us that have been used so regularly and mightily. We think about them in ways that may not be Healthy. We, we imagine Elisha did many great miracles, all the while she, he had a need, you know, and again, so, so, so near. Why hadn't God revealed to Elisha the need that was, again, so close? I mean, why hadn't he revealed 
to Elisha that she, this woman, one of the, one of the wives of one of his own servants, faced such leanness. Well, evidently he just did, and he just did that as God revealed to Elisha by her cry for help. So watch now how Elisha handles the dilemma. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Of oil. Elisha sort of asks, like, how bad is it? Like, how much, how much do you have? Well, what do you have to dent the debt? And her answer is precious little. What do you have in your house? What do you have? Nothing but a jar of oil. Most agree her jar of oil is smaller than Elijah's widow's jar of oil. Most think that this jar of oil is as small as a flask of oil, a little small anointing flask of oil. may have even been the very last thing that she had of her husband's, which may have been a bit of an ironic twist. In the New Testament, the anointing oil is sort of synonymous with the prayer of faith. And we wonder, like, what kind of legacy did this man leave his family after all? Maybe a greater one than we, when we, we initially think. But again, it's curious how a man who knew so much knew so little about her. Evidently, it's not only the revelations of God that are divine, but also the the concealments, not only what it is that God reveals to a man can be divine, but what God conceals from a man can be divine as well. Now, we aren't told anything like this, but I personally wonder if Elisha was even a little bit embarrassed by this. I mean, he, this great man of God, this great miracle worker, this great man of faith, had let a need slip right through the cracks and on his watch and under his nose, or had he? Had his ministry grown too big, sort of grown to the point where people's needs, even those of his own staff, began to go unnoticed and missed? Or was the heavenly sort of plan all along in all of this? Like, was the heavenly lesson meant to be at the end of the day, over all of it, that God is the provider? Again, however they all got here, it seems yet again, God wanted to make much of the precious little that there was. And so the man of God says to her, she, she, she lets him know how bad it is. Oh, man of God, help. The creditors are coming. They're going to take away my son. What can I do for you? What do you have? She says, precious little. Nothing but a jar of oil. Verse 3, then he said, go. Borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels do not gather just a few. If you remember, Elijah's miracle, we might say, was a little bit more of a private matter. His impoverished widow and her jar of oil in the bin of flour in her house, sort of privately, you remember, never ran out until the, until the drought ended, until the rains came. It was sort of kept on the DL. But this, on the other hand, Elisha's miracle would be more of a public nature. She would have to go out into the streets. He said, go to all your neighbors, knock on the door, and ask for empty vessels, which, of course, would have begged all kinds of questions. Personally, I wonder if there's a pause in the action between this verse and what we're told, in the, or what she's told 
in the next verse. And, and if so, it's like, I want you to go, and uh, what do you have? Well, I've got just a little jar of oil. Okay, fine. I want you to go, and I want you to knock on all the doors, go to all your neighbors, gather empty vessels, and not just a few. And then once you've done that, I'll let you know what's next. Or did she actually have the knowledge of what's in the next Verse before she went. So when she went to ask for the empty vessels and people were asking her why, did she say, well, God's man told me to. And evidently, my little flask of oil here is going to fill up every single one that I borrow. We don't know. And you wonder, did he tell the boy, did she tell the sons of what it is that was about to go down? Listen, every vessel that they would borrow was bigger than the little anointing oil that she had. You can imagine the boys go, well, what are we going to do with this? And I also wonder, did her faith grow as she went? I imagine her coming to the first house, you know, uh, we have a need. Uh, the creditors are coming. It's bad. Okay, well, what do you have? Well, I've got the, all right, go, go around, gather as many empty vessels as you can. There's no specification as to what size they were to be. Just get as many empty vessels as you can. Don't just get a few. And, and, and uh, the next verse actually tells her, you're going to shut the door behind you. You're going to take that little flask of bowl and you're going to pour it out until you filled up all the empty ones. So she knocks on the door of the first house and she comes to the sweet lady who answers the door and says, do you have any empty vessels? And she goes, well, what do you mean? She just any empty vessel. I just needed empty, any empty vessel. She goes, well, we just got back from Lowe's and we bought a 90 gallon. It's empty. We've never used it. A 90 gallon garbage can that you can use, you can take. And while she's there, she sort of reaches into her pocket and she fills the little, the little small jar of oil that she's got. And she's like, mm, you got anything smaller, like Tupperware smaller, smaller than a 90-gallon garbage can? But then as the day goes on before too long, she's gathered so many vessels that maybe she stopped and thought, well, I mean, at this point, this is so, re at this point, why not? She goes back to the first, she goes back to the first house and she goes, you still got that garbage can? Check out what happens next. So go, gather empty vessels. They've got to be empty, of course. And, and ask all of your neighbors, don't just get a few, verse 4. And when you've come in, when you've come back from your empty vessel treasure hunt, you're going to shut the door behind you and your sons, and then you're going to pour it out into all those vessels, and you're going to set aside the full ones. So she went from him. She shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now, can you imagine the look on her face when she took that 90-gallon Lowe's garbage can and that little tiny flask of oil and just began to pour it, and it didn't stop? And the sons, I mean, they had to be just like, Alexa, Play Happy by Pharrell Williams. I mean, they are just having a blast in the house. It's amazing how quickly God can obliterate our fearful tears with joy. You know, any of the questions she may have had by before were all gone now, and he hadn't even answered any of the questions that she thought she needed an answer to. I think it was Warren Wearsby who said, The child of God does not live on explanations, but on promises. And one promise that uh, we can all sort of take to the proverbial divine and heavenly bank is found in Psalm 30, verse 5. It says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen to Charles Spurgeon on this. I just love the way he writes. He says, Christian, if thou art in a night of trial, think of the morrow. 
cheer up thy heart with the thought of the coming of the Lord. Be patient, for lo, he, he comes with clouds descending. Be patient, the farmer waits until he reaps his harvest. Be patient, for you know who has said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. If you are never so stretched now, remember, and I love this line, if you are never so stretched now, remember, a few more rolling suns, at most, a few more rolling suns at most, will land thee on fair Canaan's coast. Just, just a few more rolling suns at most. Thy head may be crowned with thorny troubles now, but it's going to wear a starry crown ere long. Thy hand may be filled with cares. It's going to soon sweep the strings of the harps of heaven. Thy garments may be dust-soiled now. They shall be white by and by. Wait a little longer. Ah, how despicable our troubles and trials will seem when we look back upon them. Looking at them here, they seem immense, but when we get to heaven, our trials will then seem light and momentary afflictions. Let us go on boldly. If the night be never so dark, the morning cometh, which is more than they can say who are shut up in the darkness of hell. Do you know what it is thus to live on the future, to live on expectation, to antedate heaven? Happy believer, to have so sure, so comforting a hope. It may be all dark now, but it will soon be light. It may be all trial now, but it will soon be all happiness. What matters it? The weeping may endure for a night when joy comes in the morning. So our widow's joy has come, and what a blast it must have been. It is always so fun when God comes through. The God who called Israel as a nation, the God who called this man into the ministry is able to keep him and his family. The God who called Israel as a nation was able to provide for them all those years himself. And listen, the God who called you can keep you. The God who's called me can keep me. And I hope we believe it. I hope we believe it in increasing measure because it's in times like these that this truth is proven that the God who called us can keep us. I wonder if Elisha stood outside the door of the house, even for a moment, just to listen to all the joy and the singing and the excitement. Alexa, play All Night Long by Lionel Richie. There's going to be a party all night long. And I love what happens next. It's so great. Verse 6. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her sons, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Ever been in a chain of folks, you know, where you've got to move just a massive quantity of things and with the number of people you begin to realize that it's sort of the chain gang is the best way to go and, you know, there's just so much that you kind of get into a monotonous, you get sort of into a monotonous sort of routine and, and then all of a sudden the supply chain stops because you sort of hit, you finally got to the end of the arduous task. It's the way that it was here. Another, you know, a vessel Another vessel, another, they're, they're, mom, there, there aren't any. I mean, they're all here, but they're all full. We have filled all of these vessels to the brim with that little jar. It's impossible. Verse 7. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Now, it's not in the scriptures, but I'd like to just, I don't add it as if it were the word of God, but I just, and, and, and you can't help it, and they lived happily 
ever after. She came and she told the man of God. She completely struck it rich. And without any hesitation whatsoever, she comes to the man of God to ask what to do with all it is that God had just freely and supernaturally given her. She seems to feel no ownership at all over what it is that God has just provided for her to meet her needs. So she humbly and respectfully asks Elisha what to do with it. That's clearly intended. She didn't come to go, just FYI. She came like, what do we do with it now? She wants to know, what does God want her to do with what it is that he's provided before she did anything else with it all? It's a fantastic sort of stewardship principle here, ownership. God's ownership is really the first foundational breakthrough to give us the understanding that we need on what to do with wealth. And it's interesting, again, that someone with this kind of faith and this kind of maturity and this kind of godliness would ever suffer any leanness. I mean, don't we get the idea that the godly and the mature and the faithful and, the, and, and, and the, uh, that they're, they're exempt from storms, they're exempt from viruses, they're exempt from death, they're exempt from debt. Perhaps it was a life of leanness that taught her such godly stewardship. Perhaps many seasons of leanness developed the kind of faith she has now. So God took her impossibly little and did with it what nobody else could ever do. God made her impossibly little go an impossibly long way. By the way, this is going to be one of my prayers for us, for you in this season. Oh God of heaven, make the impossibly little that remains. This virus has stripped the storehouses bare for some Literally, in this past week, have had house and home literally stripped right out from underneath or above them. And that's going to be my prayer. My prayer is, God, could you make, could you do it again? Would you do it again for your people? Because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Could you take the precious little that we've got and make it go an impossibly long way to your praise and your glory and our good. Short little story, but God can accomplish so much with so little. Here we go. A couple things just to sort of take with us. Here's a few things. Number one, just reiterating what I just stated. Our impossibly little, our precious little with God is more than enough. Our precious little, our impossibly little with God is more than enough. God can take and, 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 and a little jar of anointing oil. And he can not only pay off with it an extraordinary, you know, a huge, enormous debt, but he can also make that little bit of oil not only satisfy a debt that was bigger than anything she could pay on her own, but she could stretch the resources of that one little bottle of oil so that this family could live for then on. And if he can do it there, he can do it with us. Truly, nothing is impossible with God. And maybe, maybe, you know, the magic, part of the magic in the story was just a recognition of what it is that she had. You know, the, the man of God says, what do you have? 
And if you hear the Lord say to you, so, you know, if you're, if you're maybe uh, prone to sort of focus on what it is that you don't, and this is a season that has actually taken quite a bit from us, the Lord may be speaking to you right now saying, well, then what, what okay, I understand, what, but what do you have? And you may respond just like her, precious little. Well, listen, your precious little, my precious little with God is more than enough. That, that is, that's true. That's true. Number one. Number two, leanness. Thin margins. Leanness isn't a sign that God isn't good, and it isn't a sign that your faith is bad. Leanness isn't a sign that God isn't good, and it's not a sign that our faith is bad. Just because things get tough, real tough, like tougher than never before, doesn't mean that God isn't good, and it doesn't mean that your faith is bad. It probably just means that our good God is up to, at least, at minimum, perfecting our precious faith. Leanness isn't a sign that God isn't good, and it's not a sign that your faith is bad at all. Number three, the greatest legacy that we can leave behind may have absolutely nothing to do with worldly wealth. Listen, faith can bring Faith can buy. Faith opens up a storehouse and can bring actually to us more than all the gold in the world can. You know, somebody looks on and thinks it's terrible that this man left his his family in this condition. Really? Let me ask you just quickly. Which lasts forever, faith or finances? Terrible how the, it's, it's, it was a, it's a testimony that he wasn't a godly servant. He didn't leave his kids and his wife, you know, overflow. Yeah, she overflowed with faith, and that faith brought to her everything that she needed. I think we make some mistakes when we get it the other way around. The greatest legacy we can leave behind has nothing to do with worldly wealth at all because it'll perish it can fly away that's one thing we're learning in this crisis what we what we trusted and what we hoped and what we thought was going to be there what we're sure was going to be there what we were going to lean on what we we're going to depend on what was going to carry us all the way it's now gone large portions of it's gone it may never come back faith on the other hand can bring to us but all the gold in the world can't Number four, I just want to reiterate something that I said before, that I pointed out before, and that is that the God who called us can keep us. I want you to say it right there in your home if you can. I want you to make it personal. The God who called me can keep me. I want you to say it. The God who called me can keep me. The God who called me in this marriage that seems impossible now can keep me in this marriage. He can give me what I need. The God who called me into this business endeavor, which seems like I may, it may never come back again, can keep me in this uh, uh, business endeavor. The God that's call, called you, you fill in the blank. Called us into this lean season, into this uh, suffering, into this crisis, can keep us, can carry us, can provide for us. Say it again. The God who can keep me, or can call me, has called me, can keep me. The God who called us can keep us. And we just need to hear it. We need to be reminded of it. Again, it's, it, if he called you, and if you're his own, then it's his responsibility to care for you. And listen, he's capable. And finally, 
The key to good stewardship is God's ownership. The key to good stewardship is God's ownership. Good stewards understand, uh, uh, first and foremost, they understand foundationally that nothing that they have is their own. Good stewards like this woman here, they'll check in with God before they do anything with what it is that doesn't belong to them. And God has actually promised good stewards something that we all love and our hearts desire more. God has promised good stewards more. Jesus said, listen, if you will be faithful with the precious little you've got, then I will give you more to be faithful with. So our precious little with God is more than enough. Leanness isn't a sign that God's not good or that our faith is bad. The greatest legacy we can leave behind has nothing to do with worldly wealth. The God who called us can keep us. And the key to good stewardship is God's ownership. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for our gatherings together, even though they're coming in a different way, sort of a different format. It is still good to gather around your word, which is living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword and it's able to accomplish what nothing else can. Faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God and it's faith we just heard, it's faith we know that can actually bring to us that can actually provide for us more than all the gold in the world can. I praise you that you see us always. I praise you for those words found in the book of Romans, Lord, that what is it? It was rhetorical. What could ever separate me from the love of God? Trouble, famine, hardship, nakedness, death. I mean, no, nothing can separate us from your love. And because we haven't come through or come out of the trial that we face, some have just entered whole host of folks here in our community. They've just entered into an entirely new, you know, level of confusion and suffering and pain and loss. And while you're wiping tears from eyes and while you're providing hugs all over the community through your, your body they, th those then those now may hear well what do you have and someone would say well it seems like we've lost everything Is there even a jar of oil left somewhere? Because this isn't some fanciful wives' tale. 
we weren't introduced to the idea just so that we could smile and go, oh, that was wonderful for that dear woman. Isn't it tender how God cares for those that are in the most precarious place? That's not why. It's a historical fact. It's a literal story of a literal movement, of a literal divine provision that is meant to literally bring us hope and trust and faith today. Lord, we've got precious little. Well, you know what, my daughter? You know what, my son? You're precious little with me. Let me show you how far that can go. And right now, I'm believing and I'm praying that all over our community, all over our world, all over the globe, there are miraculous stories of heavenly provision. Who but you could shepherd such a mighty host, such frail people in frail circumstances all over the globe but you? I'm just believing, Father, that you planted the idea in my mind weeks before any of this ever showed up. It's as if you just wanted to say to us while we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't want you to fear any evil. Don't fear, do not fear, do not fear, for I am with you and nothing is impossible with me. And Father, I thank you for the way in which these words do, they transport us, they, they carry us, they are literally, they're uplifting. To the degree that we can sing. Some can sing right now, oh God, facing what they're facing. We may even look on with astonishment. They say, it is well with my soul. It's well with my soul. You don't fake that. You receive it. It's a gift from heaven. Take our precious little and make it go an impossibly long way. And in this season of leanness, our faith will grow. Our stewardship will grow. We're going to learn new things. And you're going to be glorified. And we're going to be taken care of. Because that's just who you are. You are the good shepherd. And we your sheep. The God who called you. Don't doubt it. The God who called you, saint, don't doubt it, can keep you. The God who put your family together, husband, he's going to provide. He's faithful. And with him, nothing is impossible.
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, let's, well, why don't you stand in your living room? I'm stand. Stand and let's just sing and celebrate and let's let it be well with our souls. We love you. We're praying for you and we're trusting that, listen, our precious little with God is more than enough. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Frank Ramsour. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Frank's ministry by visiting calvarychat.com. That's calvary, C-H-A-T-T dot com.